Hello everyone, I am Christian Spanish-Smith. I'm a physician and I work as the point of care ultrasound director at the Connecticut Institute for Communities at Danbury. Before I started and directed the program at our local hospital. You're listening to the Denver Medical Files. This podcast is dedicated to the entire internal medicine community. Welcome again to the Denver Medical Files. The Denver Medical Files is a podcast for general guidance and entertainment. It is not for medical advice. If you need medical advice, please get in touch with your physician or go to your nearest emergency department. Welcome again to the Denver Medical Files. So, the Denver, last Denver Medical Files was in February this year, and I did not want to finish the year without having another chapter. I have been even thinking about changing the name of the podcast in I have been debating on start and continuing where I left the podcast, which was uh, talking about long ultrasound, or looking for a new, a new topic. Well, so last week, while precepting, one of the residents told me about how important was for her to do point of care ultrasound in uh, patients with pulmonary edema to see if uh, pulmonary edema was resolving since with the help of the stethoscope was very difficult. So that basically inspired me to just continue what the next chapter should have been in uh, March this year. So today we are going to talk about pulmonary edema and B-lines. And um, I hope this is a, a good topic for you. Welcome to the Danbury Medical Files, a production by Christian Espana Schmidt, MD. So now we're going to talk about the basics. Pulmonary fluid homeostasis is an equilibrium between forces that drive fluid into the alveolar space and the mechanisms responsible for its clearance. One of the main forces that regulate the pulmonary fluid balance is the microvascular pressure in the capillaries. The fluid movement between the interstitium and vascular bed in the lungs as in other microcirculation, is determined by the Starling equation for the filtration of fluid across a semi-permeable membrane. That evaluates the flow through a capillary membrane and the hydrostatic pressures between the vessels, as well as the pressure of the interstitial and oncotic pressure. An imbalance between these forces will end up in pulmonary edema. If there is more flow than what can be clear at some point, that can result in pulmonary edema. If there is an increase of the pressures of the venules, um, there, there might be pulmonary edema. So there is an increase of the 
hydrostatic pressure. An increase of the oncotic pressure uh, in the interstitium, so the interstitial oncotic pressure may induce pulmonary edema, and, an, and a decrease of oncotic uh, pressure or decrease of oncotic pressure may result in uh, pulmonary edema. So the um, blood oncotic pressure is less important in pulmonary edema than in other types of edema, but it's also a possible cause. And lastly, of course, an increase of the permeability of the vessel may cause edema. To this, we need to add also the protecting factors for edema. So yes, the the, the usual the usual um, suspects are what we just talked about. But protecting factors for edema um, are the very tight junctions in the alveolar membrane in the lung and uh, the lymphatic system. These tight junctions are usually lost in ARDS, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. Um, and that is what may cause part or causes part of the pulmonary edema. The lymphatic system is very interesting. At the beginning, not so important, but may hypertrophy. And in the classical example is the mitral valve disease, where the vessels of the lymphatic system get hypertrophy and, in, and help to prevent pulmonary edema. There are many, many things that can uh, cause pulmonary edema. Um, so let's start with the first one is the capillary membrane. And uh, the capillary membrane in the arterioles and venules specifically can increase its permeability to um, fluid thanks to angiotensin II in large quantities, catecholamines, and endothelin one. Catecholamines are the culprit of the flash pulmonary edema that we see in patients with few chromocytoma or increase of noradrenergic um, um, drive or adrenergic drive. And um, here the vessel loss, the capacity of keep the blood inside. Um, also, large quantities of AT2 can cause that. And uh, in ARDS, endothelin-1 is one of the big culprits of the loss of the tight junctions in the um, endothelium of the venules and arterioles in the, um, in the lung, as well as the tight junctions in the alveolar space. So ET, um, endothelin-1 or ET-1 um, may increase the permeability of the vessels and the alveoli, increasing this way the presence or the incidence of pulmonary edema. The interstitium the, may, uh, has a role, especially when associated to a increase of the permeability of the vessels. So the oncotic pressure of the interstitium has a special role in there. Also, we need to remember, and this is the most important for us in this chapter, the increase of the pressures of the left side of the heart 
that will increase the hydrostatic pressures and that will force water outside the vessels inside the alveoli and interstitium causing pulmonary edema. It is very interesting that, uh, for example, in mitral, mitral stenosis or mitral disease, at the beginning, uh, pulmonary edema, for example, is very common, let's say in tachycardia, um, when, when the patients have mitral stenosis, there is a sudden increase of the left pulmonary, or the left atrial pressure, I'm sorry, and that increase, a sudden increase of the left atrial pressure with a lung that is naive to this type of insult will create also flash pulmonary edema. With time, specifically in, in a mitral, mitral disease, we will find that the vessels itself get hypertrophied and also the lymph uh, vessels or lymphatic vessels get hypertrophied. The hypertrophy of the um, capillary vessels is what drives at the end pulmonary hypertension in these patients. However, these patients, while having hypertrophy of the vessels and, of course, hypertrophy of the uh, lymph nodes, are less and less susceptible for flash pulmonary edema and pulmonary edema in general. That, of course, at the end will cause pulmonary hypertension. Many things also can increase the left ventricular pressure and, of course, by default, the left atrial pressure. Acute ischemia, left ventricle stiffening, increase of volume. So this is, um, these are, in a nutshell, this, uh, the, the mechanisms for pulmonary edema and the mechanisms that protect for pulmonary edema. Today we want to I want to talk more about cardiogenic pulmonary edema, but it's almost impossible not to talk about um, non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema since we are talking about a little bit of point of care ultrasound. So B lines or comet tails are reverberation artifacts caused mainly by the flood or swelling of the interlobular septa in the lungs. B lines can be normal, sometimes marking the lobules and segments of the lung. So if you see one or two B lines, probably what you are seeing is a segment um, or the septa in, in the lung. However, it is usually patholo pathologic or considered pathologic to see three or more B lines in different areas. Usually we use three areas in both sides of the thorax. Um, and this, of course, given that the patient does not have uh, pulmonary fibrosis, uh, pulmonary fibrosis can cause B lines secondary to a different, um, a, a different phenomena. But even when you have patients with pulmonary fibrosis, we can use B lines, um, which are going to be more dynamic um, than the B lines that are from pulmonary fibrosis and pulmonary conditions, and, and see how much these B lines decrease during diuresis or during uh, our interventions. And that can give us a 
very good idea that the pulmonary edema is resolving. Characteristics of pulmonary edema from uh, in B lines uh, are is that are they are associated to uh, normal pleura. That's the first thing. So usually when you see B lines secondary to lung conditions, you will not see a normal pleura, especially in pneumonia, atelectasis, or uh, pulmonary infarction. So the pleura usually is abnormal in those in in, in those uh, conditions. Usually, also the B lines that come from pulmonary edema they look more like uh, lasers, or uh, and they change their they change their uh, side and they move with the pleura, and also they erase uh, A lines. And they go usually with in a whole uh, field. Something sometimes the B lines that are associated to proper uh, or or long conditions will not completely erase the A lines, which happens with B lines in pulmonary edema. So less B lines, less interstitial water in the lungs, of course. So this is very important. Less B lines, less interstitial water, and we know that. And how do we know? Well, experiments have been done in animals, in rats, in mini pigs, for example. So, what what they do is uh, inject these uh, animals with oleic acid. Oleic acid causes ARDS basically in um, in 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 anyone in, in animals of course and once they inject the oleic acid they have a group in a control of animals and they see they they look at the long ultrasound in the animals that used that were injected with oleic acid the rule is that there will be B lines. Of course, this is not hemodynamic. This is more towards ARDS, but there there will be B lines. After that, the animals in the control group and, of course, uh, the animals of the experiment are uh, are um, sacrificed, and then they they the lungs are measured for water content of water and weight and the lungs of the animals injected with uh, oleic acid are usually, not usually, they are heavier and have a larger amount of water So than in the, con- in the control. So this has been done with rats and mini pigs since 2010. And after autopsy again, the lungs that have B lines are heavier and have more water than the lungs that do not have B lines. In this case, the lungs of the animals that were um, injected with um, oleic acid. So we do have the answer. B lines equals more um, fluid in the lungs, except for when the lungs have a specific reason. Now, it is very important that when we have or when we have a patient that has 
pulmonary edema, either cardiogenic or non-cardiogenic, you, you will have generalized findings. So that's why we say more than three B lines in more than three quadrants in both uh, in two quadrants in one uh, side of the lung and, and, and one lung and one quadrant in the contralateral lung. So that is very important. Also, we know that B lines um, will reduce with therapy while patients are in the hospital. So, um, study by Spivik and all, it, it, it all demonstrates that um, the less B lines, the patient will have less mortality and will be less time in uh, the hospital. And of course, more B lines seems like we'll have more mortality, more morbidity, more readmissions, and that is very important. So B lines predict mortality, B lines predict admission, and B lines also, as per a study of Wiener and Cronish, 1985, seems that um, also in can predict that the wedge pressure is increased. So that is very important because a larger and more B lines, more increase of the wedge pressure. Of course, we're talking at this moment of cardiogenic pulmonary edema. So um, I really want to talk about something that we call the water lung cascade. And this is very important because congestion, congestion, is, even congestion in the lungs, is not symptomatic from the very beginning. So there are stages that are asymptomatic and with very few, if any, clinical signs or radiological signs that we can follow. First, we have, of course, a patient who has a stable chronic heart failure. There is a startling equation imbalance, the wedge pressure rise, but this patient at this moment is asymptomatic, hemodynamic, uh, has asymptomatic and hemodynamic congestion. So at this, at this um, stage, it has been proposed to use stress long ultrasound. So how do you do stress long ultrasound? You start stressing the patient, usually with isometric um, exercise. And with isometric exercise, uh, there are protocols for that. You will take a long ultrasound before and after. And if there is appearance of B lines that were not obvious at the beginning, you can call them stress B lines. And you will know that your patient is already asymptomatic, hemodynamic, congested, okay? So that is very important uh, because we can actually see it. At this moment, our stethoscope will be of not held, and the chest X-ray, of course not. And we usually don't put um, right, um, right catheters to everyone. So the presence of stress B lines is a way to figure out if somebody has um, has is already asymptomatic congested. 
Then, of course, um, we have the next step, which is asymptomatic pulmonary congestion. So this is very and, and very useful when you know the patient for a long time. You have done a long ultrasound in the past. You know that this patient does not have B lines usually, and now you find B lines. These B lines are or equal water, so that means that this patient is already have con is is already having congestion. The problem is that the patient is not having dyspnea. Is not having the typical signs of shortness of breath. Maybe is having some shortness of breath on exertion, but no more than that. So we can actually find early pulmonary edema and adjust therapy based on B lines. And of course, then we have symptoms uh, and signs. And and this patient already has crackles in uh, New York Heart Association three four. And th those are the easy ones, right? You put the stethoscope, you hear rails all over the place. Uh, chest X-ray is going to be obvious for, uh, for pulmonary edema. There's going to be pleural effusion. There's going to be increase of the weight. There's going to be peripheral edema. So at this moment, it's it's already um, we already lost or missed all the steps that we could have done uh, and prevent. To, to treat the pulmonary edema of these patients. So this is very important. Again, the water long cascade, and just to make a very short, is um, there is first the start equation of imbalance. You have a symptomatic hemodynamic congestion. At that moment, you can look for stress B lines. If the stress B lines are there, you know that the patient is start to getting um, congested. And of course, um, then you have um, the the patient who has already B lines, but still asymptomatic, probably minimal symptoms, and you still don't hear anything with a stethoscope. And of course, at the end, we have the patient who has crackles, dyspnea, weight gain, etc. And oh, that is a late stage. And this can happen within hours. This can happen with days or or weeks. So so every time. We have a patient who has had pulmonary edema in the past or has uh, ha a CHF. We could uh, use um, point-of-care ultrasound. And the beauty of this is that we can actually document it, document the images, and show these images for the next clinician or for whoever is helping us at that time. Crackles, edema, and clinical signs are late. More dynamic changes of uh, the B profile are associated to outcomes. So, worsening B profile, worse outcome. Improving with B profile, better outcome. That sounds very easy to remember, but the thing is that we are still talking about this like it's a new thing when, when it shouldn't be. Um, and, and should be the reality of our clinical practice. So um, it is very important uh, now that we know that uh, morbid obesity is not a reason for not performing a good long ultrasound. So morbid obesity 
has no discernible effect in the ability of ultrasound to find A lines or B lines or any other finding in the lung. That is, that is the beauty of ultrasound. Because with a chest X-ray in a patient who is morbidly obese, we may find uh, difficult to, to see what is going on in that X-ray. With uh, our stethoscope, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but we can perform a long ultrasound safely and fast in patients with morbid obesity, so that is another advantage. So I want to thank the, my resident who... Um, told me that she was using this as, as um, routinary in her patients uh, with CHF in the hospital. And um, I hope this is going to be the first of many. This has been the Danbury Medical Files. And I am Dr. Christina Spanier-Schmidt. Please um, leave us a message if you want to hear any topic in X, formerly known as Twitter at Danbury Medical Files. Also, please leave a comment and a rating to the Danbury Medical Files in any app that you are using to hear your uh, podcast. And thank you very much. 